thank you guys for uh, kicking off everything. And, and I do want to say welcome to you. Again, if you are a guest, it really is our honor to have you here at Safe Haven. Uh, we go through books of the Bible. We're in Luke. We've made it to chapter 2. Uh, we teach exegetically at Safe Haven, which may be a little different if you're a guest with us. That may be completely foreign to you to go straight through books of the Bible. But that's what we do. We're in week five of somewhere around 83 weeks. So as a matter of fact, we're actually combining two today. So instead of 83 weeks, we'll actually only have 82 weeks in the, in, in the Gospel of Luke. So, uh, so there we go. There's my gift to you. But so as we jump into this text today, you know, if, if we know anything at Safe Haven, and we don't know a lot, but if we know anything at Safe Haven, we definitely know what it is like to have a baby um, and to raise kids. Uh, Safe Haven is flooded with children. Uh, that back room is packed with babies. That upper room there is full. That room is full. Over there in that whole other building is full. There are kids everywhere, all over the place. And, and so if there's anything we know what it's like, it is like to have babies. And we love it. I, I mean, <laughs> that sounded like that was a bad thing. That's a great thing. We love it. As a matter of fact, y'all keep having babies. And by y'all, I do mean y'all. We done. <laughs> Nicholson's done. It really will be. Okay, that's too much information. Um, you keep having babies. But it's, so I say all that to say it's not rocket science that what happens with newborns. It's not, it's, it's not rocket science. They're born, they cry, they eat, they sleep, they potty, and then they do what? Hit the repeat button. <laughs> it's kind of what they do, which also, oddly enough, sounds like a lot of us old folks, what we do. Um, but it's just, kind of, it's just kind of on rotation. That's what they do. And so we may go, well, why is Luke spending so much time talking about this baby? I mean, you, you guys recognize we're in the fifth week of thinking about Christ's birth. Like, why does he think that's so important? Why does he dive into that so much? And here's why. Because Luke doesn't want us to just be enamored by Jesus' miracles that we're going to come across in about 30 more weeks. He doesn't want us to just be enamored with Jesus' unparalleled love. He don't want us just to be enamored by that. He don't want us to just be enamored by Jesus' wait for it. Luke does not want us to be just enamored by Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. He don't want us. Because if that's what's proclaimed, just the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus in the gospel, that's an incomplete gospel. You don't find the fullness of his life. And his birth is super, super important. And so Luke wants us to see that even at Jesus' birth, and before his birth, that he was matchless. In his glory. He's unmatchless. He's, he's unparalleled. Uh, there was no other baby who matched all of the messianic prophecies. And that's what we've been going through. So again, if you're, a, if you're regular with us, you, you've been here on this journey already. But if you're a guest with us, this book was written to a guy named Theophilus. Theophilus is standing trial most likely with Paul as his lawyer, defending that Paul was not proclaiming a new gospel, but through Jesus he was just proclaiming the fulfillment of Judaism. It was nothing new. Judaism and Christianity was not separate, not distinct, that Christianity was the fulfillment. So he's proclaiming this. And so we've been journeying through that together. And so he's saying, even from Jesus' birth, he began fulfilling all of the Judaistic law. So that's what's been going on. So today, we've made it to where Jesus, we're titling this, Jesus Goes to Church. 
And this is part one, because he's going to go to church twice. He's going to go to church multiple times, but twice as a baby. And so we're going to hit that today. And man, oh man, what a visit this first visit to church is for Jesus. And we're going to look at it together. So let's get our mindset maybe in the cultural context. Mary has Jesus wrapped up in the cute little outfit. Maybe he's got the little dollies on or whatever it is. Um, She's fed him. She hopes he doesn't cry much in the church service. They probably don't have a cry room like we have back in the back. Um, she's wondering, you know, maybe if his head still looks like an alien. Because let's just be honest, all babies are beautiful. But they do have a tad bit of alien to them. When they, when they first, you're kind of like, okay, this, you know. Uh, she's wondering, um, are people going to touch him? Are too many people going to touch him? Is the wrong person going to touch him? Uh, is all that kind of stuff. All the things that you have thought the first time you brought your child to church. She's thinking all of these things. She's, <laughs> she's parked her proverbial camel outside. Uh, they've got baby Jesus in the carrier. And they are headed up the steps for the first time to go to church with him. And off to the temple they go. Verse 21 is where we pick back up in our study of the Gospel of Luke. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, all this should be on the screen. Um, When he was circumcised, which was, was the sign of God's chosen people, this is what set him apart. So on the eighth day, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. We've studied that now for four weeks together. And when the time came for their purification, now this is interesting because notice it doesn't say when the time came for whose purification? His. Doesn't say that, does it? It says when time came for their purification. So this was a a family setting apart as well, the entire family. This would have been about day 33 of his life, which is also fascinating um, because we know that Christ would then live out his life for 33 years. It's pretty neat. Good Christian families raise good Christian kids, and so they're going off to the purification as a family, according to the law of Moses. They brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it's written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Now, this is their dedication moment. And again, at Safe Haven, we get to celebrate a lot of these because of the many babies And this is one of the first moments. So they brought him together to to have him on stage proverbially. Okay, this is a little bit different. But nonetheless, they're having this moment. This would have been the moment that she pulled out her iPhone 14 and took a picture. You know, posted, hey, my baby. So they come together for this dedication moment. But it is a little bit different. It says this. They brought him, and in this moment, they offered a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. This is fascinating because it shows us that Jesus was poor. Uh, This was not the the offering that was the the, the perfect offering. The perfect offering to offer for a child would have been a lamb, uh, but they didn't have a lamb. They couldn't afford a lamb. And so in Leviticus, instead of a lamb, if you couldn't afford it, you could bring a couple of birds. And so they brought the birds showing us this. But nonetheless, the point is it shows us that even in their poor state, that they were such a family that they wanted to dedicate, do everything they could to say, hey, look, we are setting him apart. Even with all the prophecies, we're still, as a family, doing our part to set him apart. Everything we got, Lord, we are devout to you and we offer to you. And so they came with this offering. Now, in this day, 
they would have come for offerings for everything. Um, if you bought a new house or built a new house, you would have presented an offering. If you had a success at work, you would present an offering. If your crops flourished, you would present an offering. And yes, if you had a child, you would present that child as an offering. And so this is what's going on in this moment. But notice, more important than all that, and hopefully you got the context now, notice the first thing that Luke overemphasizes for Theophilus and us over and over and over, and I hope you caught it and it'll be on the screen. He notes the devout lawkeeper was indeed Christ from birth. Five times in this text, according to the law, is brought up. Did you catch that? And Luke's screaming this. Hey, yes, Jesus is set apart and different. And yes, he's also kind of normal for Mary. And she's doing all the normal mom things. But there's something different according to the law, according to the law, according to the law, according to the law. And Luke is flashing this like a neon sign for us. To show us that Christ was indeed this law keeper even from birth. He's different from us in that way. And the reason I bring that up is because, number one, I think Luke brings it up on purpose. But... There's a notion out there, and it's proclaimed today. There's, there's some rap people who've said some stuff about it, and, and you, know, you guys know I'm a rap guy. Um, and and th- there's also some spoken word folks who've done some stuff. And, and this is kind of the notion that Jesus was anti-religious. And that's not true at all. Jesus was super religious. He was a Jew of Jews. And so he's hammering this over and over. Notice the set-apart stuff. He fulfilled the law in circumcision. He fulfilled the law of purification. He fulfilled the law in presentation. He fulfilled the law with this sacrifice. Here's the thing. The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ mean absolutely nothing if he was not a law keeper even from birth. And he's hammering this. He's perfect from birth. So lest we in our piety think, well, I'm a pretty good person, at minimum... We're born into sin, Christ not so much. Christ not at all. He's perfect according to the law, according to the law, according to the law. And so a gospel devoid of Christ's birth and life is incomplete, yes, but also it's got to be added that in his birth he was perfect, flawless under the law. Everything fulfilled. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is actually going to say when he grows up, he's going to reiterate this. And Jesus says this, I've not come to abolish the law. Don't buy into that notion that Jesus came to just do away with the law. He didn't. He, he was a good Jewish boy. Uh, yarmulke and all, okay? <laughs> Bar mitzvah and all. Jesus was a good one. And not so much abolish the law. He says, I've not come to do that, but I've come to fulfill it. Every aspect of it from birth. Why? Because we wouldn't and we couldn't. He's different than us. Galatians chapter 3, Paul's going to pick this back up and explain to everybody further in light of what that means for our faith. And he says it this way. So then the law was a guardian until Christ came in order that we might then be justified by faith. So in other words... Christ alone will fulfill the law. He's the only one that could, even from his birth. And then our faith is placed in the fact that he did fulfill the law. So if you're in this room and you're wondering, what is the essence of salvation all about? What is it? The point is this. Christ did 
what you could not and would not do in fulfilling every jot and tittle of the law. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. From birth. From birth. So the law showed us what sin was. It showed us the depth of our dilemma. That my goodness, it's not just... And if you're in this room, I always, I always want to be careful that I shepherd and pastored well. Maybe you're in this room and you go, I don't know what you mean by the law. Okay? And maybe, or maybe you think the law being the Ten Commandments. There were 613 commandments in the Old Testament. And you had to fulfill every single one of them to be righteous. All of them. And the law was sh- to show us, hey, the, you got a big problem. <laughs> Not only are you going to botch up all Ten Commandments, but there's a good chance you'll botch up all 613. Not in your lifetime, but probably today. You'll watch them all up today, but Christ will... So the law showed us the depth of our dilemma, but it also showed us the main point of Christ's life. The main point of Christ's life was not that he came and was a, a good guy who did some good things. That wasn't the point. The point was that he glorified God as the second Adam for us. The first Adam botched it all up, and we do too. But the second Adam would not. And it showed us how to recognize the promised Messiah. What he would do from birth was fulfill the law. So, with faces beaming and hearts beating, here they go. They're headed off up the temple steps. And there was no way to prep prep them for what's next. As if that's not already enough. Like, we could end the service right there and sing. But man, it, it gets going really, really good. So... No way to prep them for what's next. Verse 25, a man named Simeon comes up. Let's look at this. And so now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. Pause right there. Just a side note. So for anybody who says there's no evidence of the Holy Spirit in the Old Covenant, that's just not true. The Holy Spirit is flooded throughout all of the Old Testament. This is another example. Because remember, we're still in the intertestamental period here. Here we go. Um, so so he's, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is upon him. Um, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not taste death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up. In his arms, and he blessed God. Now, this is big. So not only is Jesus the devout law keeper from birth, but now Luke's showing us that he is indeed the fulfillment of the consolation of Israel. He's the fulfillment of that prophecy, the one who would comfort. And so, Theophilus, you got to hear this, brother. Be enamored by Jesus, that Jesus is not a prophet, don't you ever let somebody tell you Jesus was a good prophet or a great prophet. He was not a prophet. He was anything but a prophet. He was the fulfillment of all prophecy. And so he's showing this to Theophilus. And as the fulfillment, he is this word that's, that's said here in the text, he's the consolation of Israel. He's the one who comforts God's people. How many of y'all, when you had a child, if you've had children, somebody walked up to you and said, hey, your baby is the fulfillment of the consolation of God's people. Anyone? That's different, right? Like, they came up to me and was like, I think you got a murderer right there. (laughs) And I'm like, I might, yes, I might have one. You know, I might have a murderer. 
the fulfillment of the consolation of Israel. Isaiah 40 is where this found in verse 1 and 2. God says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that the coming one would say that her sin has been paid for. Simeon picks up Jesus and says, this is the one who will pay for all mankind's sin. He's the, constant, he's the one you're hoping for. He's the comforter. Most kids get a hoochie-coo. <laughs> like you bring them in and forgive us people who are awkward because we don't know what to say when you bring your child in. We're just like, coochie-coochie. <laughs> because we don't know. So forgive us. We don't know what to say. That's what most kids get. But Jesus didn't. We, we say that hoochie or something like that, because we don't know what to say. Because the child's life is unwritten. The child's life has not been penned yet. Now, as your child grows up, man, this church is one of the most encouraging churches I've ever seen in my life. Heading to watch ball games and cheerleading events and band competition of kids that are not your kids that you just love and you want to pour into. That is awesome. So we're good at as they grow up. Being like, hey man, I'm so proud of you for doing this or doing that. But we don't say anything at birth because our, our lives are unwritten. That's what's different about Jesus. Did y'all catch that? Simeon goes, his life is already written. Blessed be the Lord. He's the amazing comforter, the consolation of Israel. He's the one that will comfort your heart. His life is pinned. What was it, Natasha Bedingfield? Now I'm thinking of her. Life is unwritten. Okay, there's three of us in here who know that song. But Jesus, right out of the gate, church, is the mender of the brokenhearted. Right out of the gate, he is the fulfillment of the greatest longing we all have in our hearts for restoration. Right out of the gate, he is the one who fulfills the hope that our sin will be Paid for in full. Simeon goes. Blessed be God. What a child. And there's still more. I hope you're already mesmerized by this first visit to church. There's still more from Simeon. And Simeon goes on to say this. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Catch that, Theophilus. Catch that, safe haven. I guarantee you Theophilus had never heard that before. This child is the salvation of mankind. And he's the substitutionary salvation from God. Simeon notes. This is kind of Jesus' Mufasa moment, if you will. This is the, the moment where he holds him up and the music's playing in the background. But it's so powerful. Did you notice what Simeon did when he saw him? Simeon pronounced his own, his own death. He said, I don't need to see no more. <laughs> I've seen everything. That is a powerful moment. I love your babies. But not a one have I looked at and been like, oh, I can die now. Now, you might have. You might have. And again, I love your babies. And they're good babies. They're, they're the best babies in all of Tuscaloosa. They're the best babies in the world. But they're no match for Jesus. They're no match. Let's be clear. 
He didn't say, I have seen the Son. He said, I have seen salvation. That's different. It blew him away. So many in this room, y'all feel that salvation as deeply as Simeon, don't you? There's so many in this room, when you found salvation, you're like, I can go now. Like it's that freeing. Like you found the grace and love of Christ and, and, and you feel Paul when Paul... See, look, you know I'm about to start something once I get here. So let me get back here so I'll stay in the line. All right. Paul says, I'm stuck between the two. I long to go and be with him. I'm free and I am set free from this world and ready to go. Let me go. Let it be. Lord, today, let today be the day. I'm stuck between that, but I know that it's good for me to be here now because there's a purpose for my life. Y'all, some of y'all feel that, don't you? You're like, let's go, let's go. You're, you pray every morning, today, Lord, don't let that be the trumpet from County High that I'm hearing, but let it be the golden trumpet. Come on home, you know, whatever that looks like. Um, you feel that, don't you? I hope you do. I hope you do. It's that release that once you've found salvation, man, there's nothing better. And you realize there really is nothing that this world has to offer us of any value. It's good to keep proclaiming the hope of Christ. Man, just let me go. And if you've never found that type of freedom and release, that covering of your sin, that much grace, let me offer it to you today. Will you hear the hope of Christ in Christ's birth? He was born a virgin, spotless, sinless. In his life, he was tempted in all ways, yet without sin. In his death, it was savagely unjust, but oh man, how graciously substitutionary. Voluntarily stepped in and said, I'll live the life they can't live. I'll do it for them. And in his death... He took the fullness of the wrath of God that we deserve. In his resurrection, there was the divine affirmation that the curse of sin had been broken and one man had conquered the curse of death and he was raised unto life. In his ascension, he now intercedes to live on behalf of all believers in this room, praying for you to hold you secure. And in his return, (laughs) how we long for this, in his return unstoppable power he will have to restore back the radiating glory of Eden. To restore back garden, the intent of the Lord. To bring us back into that. That's the fullness of the gospel. Have you embraced that? Like for yourself. Like I trust in all that. If you have, you know that freedom. And if you haven't, you can know that freedom right now right here today. Repent of your sin, trust in Christ's finished work, and submit to him. And on the authority of God's word, you'll be saved. And you go, nah, but I'm I'm a pretty scandalous guy. I'm far worse than you. Ask my kids and wife. Heck, ask anybody who's been around Save Haven for a couple of years. I am the worst in this room. If you're like, man, I'm too far gone, the admitting the fact that you're too far gone is the prerequisite to get you to the foot of Christ. Because at that moment you can go, I'm too far gone. But he's not. 
He's not. I'm trusting in him. The only thing we bring to salvation is the sin that made our salvation necessary. What a great quote by Augustine. (laughs) So good. As a matter of fact, that quote right there, I was thinking about it this morning. I really do think it'd be awesome to put some letters. Here we go with, you know, graphic. Like, we... We're, we would tattoo this whole building if we had the money, all right? <laughs> right? But to put that as a reminder when we walk in in some block letters. So don't be shocked if you, if, you, if you see that soon. The only thing we bring to our salvation is the sin that made it necessary. It's all about Jesus, church. It's all about Jesus. Okay, I've got to keep going. So he says, My eyes have seen your salvation that you prepared in the presence of all people. He's a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. You think? You think they're marveled at those words? I would be. I would be. Shows us this, that Christ is not only the devout law keeper from birth, not only the fulfillment of the consolation of Israel, not only the substitutionary salvation from God, but he is the beaming glorious light for all people. Luke's, he uses that surgical precision words again. Did you notice that? He's, he's so precise because he is a doctor. Surgical precision in the words that he chose here in these three verses. Notice a couple of things. Number one, notice that he said he is salvation in the presence of peoples, plural, instead of people. Did you catch that? He did that on purpose. In other words, he's not here to just save the Jews. He's here for all peoples, plural. He is offered to everyone. He noticed that first. And then number two, notice that he quoted, not the Jews first, but he said the Gentiles first. That he came for salvation to the Gentiles. That's very curious that he put that first. I I think he did that because Luke is a, he's a Gentile. And so when he heard that from Simeon, remember, he's interviewing these people. And he hears, well, not Simeon. Simeon's probably long gone dead. Uh, But whoever he interviewed, maybe it was Mary, maybe it was Elizabeth, whoever he's interviewing, they say, Simeon said this, okay? And and so he hears that and he goes, hold up. (laughs) He is salvation to the Gentiles? And it caught his ears, right? So I think he notes that. Because Gentiles would have come up a separate gate. The Jews would have come up the temple in the Jewish steps, the Gentiles would have come up in the Gentile steps, still separated. The Jews could go so far, the Gentiles could only come to a certain court. And Simeon, as a devout Jew, goes, hey, he's going to blow all that up. And all people can come to the Father because of your child. Your child. Wow. And I hope you feel that. And then thirdly, he does say yes. And not only is he salvation to all peoples, the Gentiles, but the covenant people of Israel. Meaning this, that if you've ever wondered in your mind, do Jews, are they saved different than Christians? No. The first century Jews had to confess Christ as Lord, even as early as the disciples. Good Jews. First ballot elders, deacons in the Jewish churches. They had to come to salvation through Christ and believing in the fulfillment. So in other words, Mary, Joseph, your child is the saving light of the rich and the poor. 
The popular and the unknown. The red, yellow, black, and white, all the precious ones in his sight. The athletic, the artistic, the academic, and the average. He is the savior of all who will come to him. And then Simeon's last words. And now that we've read it today, perhaps literally his last words. We don't know what happens after this. We do know he said, let me go. I've seen everything. So maybe he goes home. (laughs) He cuddles up to his wife and goes, hey, babe, I love you, but I'm out of here. Boom. (laughs) Maybe that's what happened. We don't know. So maybe these are literally his last words, but definitely the last words we have in the Gospel of Luke. And so Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, I could not get past that as I was studying this text. They come in, Mary and Joseph heading in. Simeon picks up the baby, Mufasa moment, hands the baby back, looks at Joseph, and then turns his eyes and stares squarely at Mary. Why? Why does it point out that he turned to Mary, his mother? And my mind could not go back anywhere other than Genesis. You'll remember the prophecy. There will come one. And there'll be a snake who strikes his heel, and he will do what? Crush the serpent's head, and he will be the one born of woman. Doesn't mention a father at all. Even back to Genesis. And so Simeon goes, Mary, rest assured, Mary, this one is the one who fulfills the Genesis prophecy. You're the mother. He's the child. He'll crush Satan's head. Oh. Oh. And so in this moment, he utters his last words. Behold, this child. (laughs) Church, catch this and we'll wrap it up. This child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that is opposed. And Mary, a sword that will pierce through your own soul also. So that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Fifthly, Mary, this child will be the divisive judge of mankind. Everything before that was pretty party. I mean, it was like rave. And then she hears these words. And she's like, what kind of child is this? The fall and rising of mankind? The one with which the thoughts and hearts of of man's hearts is revealed? What is that? No one is hated or loved more than one person who has supreme authority to declare the fate of someone else. Right? Like if you're the judge and you come into the room, if if I'm the judge and you come into the room and I have the authority to say you are set free or you are condemned forever, that's a pretty powerful authority. And no one is feared more in that moment than the judge. What's he going to do? If he sets me free, I love him. If he declares me condemned, I hate him. Mary, your child is not only that in a courtroom but in the throne room for all mankind. Are y'all feeling the weight of that text yet? A 
Do you feel the weight of this child? He's unparalleled. He'll be responsible for the fall of many. He will crush all those who trust in their own ability. If you're trusting in your works unto salvation, he will crush you in the end. We wear shirts around here that says grace upon grace, not just because we think it's a cool t-shirt, but because the only way we will be saved is grace upon grace. The only way we're getting in is because we're holding on to the tail end of Jesus. And he's dragging us with him. He'll be responsible for the rise of many. Those who trust in the finished work of Christ alone for salvation, he will pick up from the pit of despair and rise up. He'll be responsible for the rising and the falling and the exposing of the thoughts and the intentions of our hearts. That's crazy. And the cross and resurrection still does that today, doesn't it? It exposes the intentions of our hearts. He'll be a stumbling block to unbelievers, but he'll be a cornerstone to those believing. All these things, church, said about a 33-year-old baby boy. (laughs) Wow. And I genuinely hope you find yourself today like Mary, Joseph, and Simeon. I pray you've considered Jesus, and then I pray you've lifted him up high, and that you're marveled by him. I pray this text has ignited in your heart a passion for Christ, that he's... No normal child. Jesus is not even extraordinary, church. He is the exclusive Savior, God in flesh. And we see this in this Christmas Christmas passage. And if we see Christ as Simeon and Mary and Elizabeth and Anna, if we see Christ in the same way that they saw him, then we'll do what they did, won't we? We'll respond in the same way as they did. So Luke adds a second witness. Um, So in other words, hey, Simeon is not just one crazy old man. We also have a crazy old lady that we'll add to that. There's a couple of witnesses here. And and, and I say crazy again in jest, being that he's trying to give this to Theophilus. And Theophilus could go, well, that's that's one guy. And he said, no, 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 there's multiple people who proclaim the excellence of Christ. And there was a prophetess, Anna the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. Uh, she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple worshiping uh, with fasting and prayer day and night. If you've ever wondered if the prayers of your grandmother are effective, that's a good one. <laughs> Pretty powerful prayer here. And coming up that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and speak to him, uh, of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, there's our fifth time law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth, back to the boondocks. It's kind of like the Beverly Hillbillies in reverse, right? I want to notice one last thing. Have you noticed how many times these past weeks that Luke has made a contrast between the old and the new. It caught me this week. And I don't think that's circumstantial. I think that's on purpose. Here's why I say this. 
have you noticed that there was a new generation? You had old Elizabeth. You remember her? You had old Zechariah. You remember him? And I'm not just saying old as a stab. Like the Bible says, they are old. Okay? Old Elizabeth, old Zechariah, old Simeon, and old Anna. Compared to who? Young Mary and Joseph. Something totally new is shifting with Jesus. A new phase uh, of, of prophets. You've got all the old prophets all the way up to Micah. You've got John who is screaming of Jesus even in his womb. And then the fulfillment of the new prophecy, Jesus, old to new. You've got a new phase of the covenant of grace. Luke is the only one who will exclusively quote Christ as saying this in Luke 16. The law and the prophets were up until John. Since then, the gospel of the kingdom is preached. Old, new, exclusive to Luke. In other words, we're no longer waiting. The kingdom is in our midst. And the kingdom is to come. And the kingdom is Christ. His point, there's no contradiction between Judaism and Christianity. You've got to see that in its context. Christ is the fulfillment of all the law. A new emphasis. Did you catch the emphasis on the work of the Holy Spirit? A new emphasis. Yes, there's very... It's not explicit a lot in the Old Testament. You get to the New Testament already. Chapter 1, verse 15. Chapter 1, verse 41. Chapter 1, verse 67. Chapter 2, verse 25. Chapter 2, verse 26. Chapter 2, verse 27. Six times Luke has already said, the Holy Spirit's moving, the Holy Spirit's moving, the Holy Spirit's moving, the Holy Spirit's moving. It's a new thing. For those of you who grew up in the D.C. talk era, God is doing it. Yes! One person knows DC Talk. Yes! He's doing a new thing. Luke's emphasizing this. I think that's so good. And then the new scope of salvation. He is explicitly clear that salvation is not just for the Jews, Old Testament. But he's also for the Gentiles, New Testament. And if you're in this church, other than Johnny Davis, (laughs) who does come from Jewish lines... Y'all better all say amen to that. Amen. The scope is now for us all, which fulfilled Isaiah 52 and 49 and 42. And so Luke is going to continue over the next several weeks, and we'll see much more that Jesus is this church, and I'll shut up. Jesus is not only all these things, but he's the abolisher of your guilt. He is the supplier of your strength. He is the forgiver of your sin. He is the upholder of the broken. He is the sustainer of everyone in this room that is weak. He is the certainty in your mortality. And he is the one who will dismiss us from this world unto his peace eternally. And all that in a 30th... 33-day-old baby boy. (laughs) Amen? Amen. Ben, come on back up. Well, for now, we can't hold him like Mary and Joseph did. Like, this is my baby-holding posture. That's another thing a lot of you guys know. I don't hold babies. I didn't even hold my own, which is why they probably turned out the way they did. Cole, sorry. I held you when you were five years old. That's fine, right? We, we regain. Babies, are, they're just like their necks. They're so, their necks. And I know, Brandy, that they're strong and that you deal with them every day and that, Troy, you're not going to break their neck. That's what you want to tell me right now, right? You're not going to break their neck. I'll break their neck. I feel it. Like, 
Lenny, what was the, the book? Lenny, the, the, okay. We can't do this now. You know what the book is? Of Mice and Men, yes. I read the cliff notes to it. Um, we can't hold baby Jesus like this. But I want you to do something, okay? I want you to do something. And I know we got guests in here, and that's, a, you know. Do that. And do it. Just, I know, act like, I, we're family. If you're a guest, you're freed from this. You don't have to do this. But everybody that's a part of this crazy family, all right? <laughs> hold, just hold. We can't hold. I, I'm looking at some of you. Randy, you don't ever need to hold a baby, all right? <laughs> and your child's popping out left and right, all right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Okay. Okay. We, it may be odd, all right, but we can't hold baby Jesus like this. Okay. But I want you to do something else with your hands now. Do them like this. Because he now holds you. Is that awkward for some of you to hold? You find that hard to believe that maybe Jesus would hold you instead? (laughs) Isn't that the marvelous thing about salvation? That when we lay hold of the truth of Christ, we actually realize He's laying hold of us. See, some of you like the whole baby Jesus. That's fine, cuddly. But you don't feel worthy for him to hold you. Church, that's the fullness of everything we just read. He came to bleed and die and live to hold you. Let's pray. perhaps Jesus Luke could have just said that Jesus came to show us the extent of his love even as a baby but we probably wouldn't have fully understood it so we thank you for Luke chapter 2 and the depths with which you inspired Luke to write to show us all that Jesus is the fulfiller of the law filler of prophecy, the substitutionary one, the, the, the atoning Lord, God Almighty incarnate. Thank you. I pray for believers in this room that we will feel the weight of your love for us in a whole new way. That you didn't come primarily for us to hold you. But you came to hold us. And I know in this room there's some people who just... It's a hard thing for them to believe because they know their own past. 
Oh God, would you show them their future in you? If there's an unbeliever, Lord Jesus, that you would overcome their resistance and draw them to salvation today. If you're in this room and today salvation has come, the Holy Spirit has awakened your heart, drawn you to himself. If you're committing to him today, I would love to hear about that. Please come find me. Take your hand out. Let us know that you are trusting in Christ for salvation. We want to talk to you about baptism and talk to you about what it looks like to live out in a community of faith. Let us know today. Church, let's worship. Let's worship like never before.